Hi everyone, this is Danae Cox. Um, today we're gonna go over the Purple Book chapter 14, um, and this is the fourth edition. Going over the complex hand injuries, trauma, and tendon transfers. So again, as I've said previously in my podcast, this does not supplement any of your own reading uh, and studying that you should be doing, but rather it's just an avenue to help you um, have another way to study. So um, anyways, today we're going to do complex hand injuries, trauma, and tendon transfers of chapter, chapter 14. So axonal regeneration takes place one to three millimeters per day, but this is after a latency period of three to four weeks to allow Wallerian degeneration to complete. So this, this surprised me because we all know it's one to three millimeters a day or about an inch a month for nerve regeneration. But what I didn't realize was that there is a latency period of three to four weeks. So the nerve does not start healing right away. It actually starts healing after three to four weeks when Wallerian degeneration is complete. So Wallerian degeneration, that is the process of where the damaged segment of the nerve is phagocyzed, and then um, this occurs distal to proximal. So that's why you have that latency period of three to four weeks because Wallerian degeneration starts at the distal um, segment and it heals proximally. And then after that's complete, that's when you start having axonal regeneration. And that is uh, one to three millimeters a day or an inch per month. Uh, so how do the surgeons select donor tendons for transfers? Well, the tendon has to be strong enough to perform its new function. The amplitude of tendon excursion is important to be able to provide full range of motion. It has to be expendable. So selection of the donor tendon should not sacrifice another motion. A donor muscle must be at least a grade of four for a manual muscle test. Muscles need to be able to complete full active range of motion against gravity with some resistance. So this is something big that a lot of people ask or wonder, you know, how do I memorize all of these different tendon transfers? Well, one of the big things that sticks out to me is that for a donor tender, it has has to be expendable. So what does that mean? Well, for index finger, you have um, EDC and EIP that both provide index finger extension. So EIP is independent. You can move him and it's a common transfer, the EIP to EPL. Um, and that's a common transfer because the index finger can still extend because of EDC is intact. So again, on the owner side of the hand, you can do the same with EDM. Um, so you have to think of, you know, when you're going over the test and you're looking at the options, look at, could that tendon be expendable? And if it's not, you can throw that out of the equation. <clears throat> All right, so with radial nerve palsy, innervation of the radial nerve um, for high, it's gonna innervate the triceps, the enconius, the brachioradialis, and the ECRL. But if it's a low uh, radial nerve palsy, then it's gonna innervate the ECRB, 
the supinator, the EDCs, EDM, ECU, APL, EPL, EPB, and EIP. Okay, so for radial nerve palsy, the innervation, the high innervation is going to be the upper arm, so triceps, enconius, brachioradialis, and ECRL. But a low radial nerve injury is going to include the ECRB, the supinator, the EDC, EDM, ECU, APL, EPB, EPL, and EIP. Um, when assessing the function of supination, the therapist needs to place the arm in extension to test the supinator, which is innervated by the radial nerve. If the patient is placed with the elbow flexed, then the biceps can perform supination, misleading the therapist regarding intact supinator. The biceps is innervated by the musculotaneous nerve. So you can see if you're testing this and you're, and you're testing for weakness of the radial nerve um, and you know you do it with the elbow flexed, the biceps is going to be kicking in more and so that's going to be the musculotaneous nerve. So it's going to seem like supination is relatively strong. But if you have the patient extend their arm, then this isolates the supinator and, which will accurately test for radial nerve innervation. A common tendon transfer to uh, restore wrist extension after radial nerve palsy includes using the pronator teres. This muscle performs a synergistic effect for wrist extension, therefore it is a good candidate. The pronator teres is innervated by the median nerve. The other ones that you can do to correct wrist extension, digital extension, and thumb extension is the pronator teres to the ECRB, the FCU to the EDC, and the palmaris longus to EPL. After these transfers, um, post-op care, you need to immobilize with the elbow flexed at 90 degrees, the forearm pronated, the wrist extended at 30 to 45 degrees, the MPs placed at neutral and the IPs free. If the transfer included the thumb, then the thumb is also immobilized with the IP and MC extension. The patient will be casted for four weeks and then a removable brace for four weeks. Four weeks post-op of a radial nerve tendon transfer you want to focus on MCP flexion to avoid extension contractures. At seven weeks post-op, you can begin dynamic or static progressive orthotic to increase flexion of the MCP. So this can be confusing because you're like, okay, well, if we're doing a tendon transfer for a radial nerve, then we're trying to restore wrist and digital extension and possibly thumb extension. So why are we trying to bring back flexion? Well, because these are now tight and it's also been immobilized. You got to think about it to mobilize with wrist extension and 30 to 45 degrees. Um, and so that is to um, decrease tension off the repair. 
So it can get very tight uh, with flexion. And so that's why you want to start moving them, um, the MCP flexion at four weeks because you don't want extension contractures. All right, so again, um, a common for radial nerve palsy to restore wrist extension is using the pronator, pronator teres. This is because the muscle performs a synergistic effect for wrist extension. And remember the pronator teres is innervated by the median nerve. So that's another thing whenever you're looking at these test questions and they're asking you um, uh, what muscle that you should transfer. Well, if it's a radial nerve palsy, obviously you cannot transfer another muscle that is innervated by the radial nerve because that just wouldn't work. So, um, you know, look at those and see, okay, well, we're looking for radial nerve and that one is innervated by the radial nerve because I can already throw out that um, choice. So to correct, uh, a lot of times they'll do these massive uh, tendon transfers to correct wrist extension, digital extension, and thumb extension because that's all that is um, seen with radial nerve palsy. So this will be the pronator teres to the ECRB. And then they'll take FCU to EDC and then palmaris longus to EPL, right? Okay, so um, when they do the FCU and they transfer it to the EDC, there is going to be lack of tendon excursion, which means that composite digital and wrist extension are impossible. Therefore, the patient will use tenodesis, okay? So um, it's because it doesn't have as long a tendon excursion, so now it's shortened. Um, so they just can't do composite wrist and digital extension, so they'll use tenodesis to help for grasp and release. Um, all right, so this is different for restoring wrist extension in cerebral palsy. So for, um, for radial nerve, just for radial nerve palsy, they're gonna take the FCU and put it to the EDCs, okay? But what it's saying here is that with cerebral palsy, it's going to be different. To restore wrist extension, they're gonna take the FCU to the EDCs or ECRB is more appropriate. Children with CP are contracted in a pronated wrist flex position due to tone. Therefore, the pronator teres would not be useful. So remember, the pronator teres is the number one um, that they use to restore wrist extension with radial nerve palsy. And they take it to the ECRB. However, with cerebral palsy, they have... Um, a lot of tone and therefore the pronator, pronator teres would not be useful. So they're going to transfer the FCU to the EDC or ECRB. Transferring of the FCU limits the extent of ulnar deviation and improves voluntary wrist extension. This is known as the green transfer. Another option for radial nerve palsy is called the boys transfer. 
This is also known as the superficialis transfer. The Boyce transfer restores wrist extension, digital, and thumb extension, and this includes the pronator teres to the ECRB, the FDS of the middle finger to the EDC, the FDS of the ring finger to the EPL, and the FCR to APL and EPB. All right, so again, the boys transfer is used to restore wrist extension, digital, and thumb extension. So in order to do this, to restore wrist extension, you will take pronator teres and move it to ECRB. And then the FDS of the middle finger will go to EDC. The FDS of ring finger will go to EPL. And the FCR will go to the APL EPB. Radial nerve palsy may resolve spontaneously in the first few days to three to four months. If there is no clinical improvements greater than three months, then surgical intervention can be considered. So we're going to switch gears and talk about um, digital replantation, order of repair, and um, what this is, is first, okay, if they're going to do a digital uh, replant, they're first going to do bony fixation, then they're going to do the extensor and flexor tendon repairs, then the nerve repair, and lastly is going to be skin coverage. So if you're looking at a patient with a digital replantation as a surgeon, you're going to first do bony fixation, then the extensor flexor tendon repair, then the nerve repair, and then skin cover. So basically starting on the inside and working your way out. Um, therapy following a replant. Initially during revascularization, the OT should monitor closely the skin color and temperature as well as avoid constrictive bandages on the wound. One week post-op, early active range of motion can begin only after it can be determined that the replant was successful. So now we're jumping back to nerves, to the median nerve. So the median nerve innervation is, uh, if, for a high median nerve injury, it's going to include the pronator teres, the FCR, the palmaris longus, the FDS of all digits, the FDP to the index finger and middle finger, the FPL, and the pronator quadratus. If it is a low median nerve injury, so at Guillain's Canal, this is going to include your APB, your opponent's pollicis, the FPB superficial head, and the index and middle finger lumbricals. So for a high median nerve palsy, you're going to have the pronator teres, the thumb opposition, thumb flexion, and flexion of the index and middle finger are all going to be lost. So some transfer options will be um, taking EDM, 
and transferring it to APB to restore thumb opposition. They will also take brachioradialis, transfer it to the FPL to restore thumb IP flexion. The FDP of the ring finger and small finger side to side transfer to the FDP of the index finger and middle finger. This will restore finger flexion. And lastly, the ECRL or the ECU are common to restore FDP and FPL. All right, so I'm gonna repeat again because I know that's a lot of information. Um, for a high median nerve palsy, the functions that are gonna be lost, so pronator teres, so it's gonna be hard pronation, thumb opposition will be lost, thumb flexion, and flexion of the index finger and middle finger are lost. So what does these functions? So thumb opposition, that's gonna be your APB, and um, your opponent's pollicis, and for um, thumb flexion, that's gonna be loss of the uh, FPB, and then um, for flexion of the index finger and middle finger, that's gonna be due to um, loss of the index and middle finger lumbricals. I'm sorry, you know what? I just completely confused y'all. Um, and I cannot back up this recording, so ignore what I said. I'm going to start over. Um, I'm so sorry. All right, so we're going to start back at high median nerve palsy, okay? So for high median nerve palsy, what is lost is the pronator teres, thumb opposition, thumb flexion, and flexion of the index finger and middle finger are lost, okay? So um, to... The transfer options to restore thumb opposition, you will take EDM to APB. To restore thumb IP flexion, you're going to take brachioradialis to FPL. To restore um, finger flexion, you can do a side-to-side -side transfer and take FDP of ring finger, small finger, and, and intersect it to the FDP of index finger and middle finger. And lastly, to restore FDP and FPL, you can transfer the ECRL or the ECU. So again, that is all for a high median nerve palsy and I apologize for um, confusing you. So now we're switching over to a low median nerve palsy. So for low palsy of the median nerve, your transfer options are going to be the FDS to the ring finger and transferring that to APB for thumb opposition. Even though the FDS is innervated by the median nerve, it is innervated proximally. Therefore, in a low injury, the FDS would not be affected. So the Ring finger FDS is routed around the piece of form and used as a pulley system, and that's how it um, creates that thumb opposition. The additional transfer option to restore thumb opposition for low media nerve palsy is um, you can use palmaris longus, 
they can use EIP or abductor digity quinity. Patients with median nerve palsy develop adduction and supination contractures of the thumb. To prevent contractures, you want to fit them with a wide abduction orthosis. There's a couple anastomoses that are connected to a median nerve. And the first one is the Martin Gruber anastomosis. This is where there's a median nerve and ulnar nerve connection where the median nerve connects to the ulnar nerve high in the form. Therefore, in high ulnar nerve lacerations, the intrinsics will still function due to median nerve innervation. The second anastomosis is the Riesch canoe. And the Riesch canoe anastomosis, the median nerve ulnar nerve connection is in the palm where the median nerve innervates all of the lumbricals and the neurosei. Okay, so an easy way to remember this is Martin Gruber is median nerve ulnar nerve connection in the form and Riesch canoe is in the hand. So M comes before R. All right, so now we're gonna move down to ulnar nerve. So for ulnar nerve, um, high ulnar nerve will innervate the FCU and the FDP of the ring finger and small finger. Low ulnar nerve injuries will affect the ADM, the FDM, the ODM, third and fourth lumbricals, palmar and dorsal interossei, FPB of the deep head, and adductor pollicis. So for a low ulnar nerve injury, they will have paralysis of the intrinsics, but FDP will be intact, creating an imbalance, which will be apparent with a claw hand deformity. A claw hand deformity is where you see the MCPs extend and finger flexion resulting in a shortening of the extrinsics and tightening of the intrinsics. A common transfer for, to um, correct claw hand is called a Zancoli lasso tendon transfer. The therapist can also fabricate an anti-claw splint where the MPs should be positioned in 30 to 45 degrees flexion to correct the claw deformity. One of the assessments for an ulnar nerve injury is a froment's sign. This is where the patient is asked to pinch paper and then the thumb hyperflexes due to an imbalance from loss of intrinsics of the FPB, the first dorsal interossei, and AP. So now we're gonna talk about manual muscle testing. You have grades zero through five out of five. Zero out of five, there is no palpable muscle contraction. One out of five, there's a trace. So muscle contraction can be palpated with no joint movement. Two out of five is considered poor. 
the patient completes range of motion with gravity eliminated. Three out of five manual muscle test is fair. The patient will complete range of motion against gravity without resistance. Four out of five is good. The patient completes range of motion against gravity with moderate resistance. And normal will be five out of five. It's important to memorize the tendon excursions. Um, so for wrist, you will have three centimeters of tendon excursion. The common finger extensors will have five centimeters of tendon excursion. And the long finger flexors will have seven centimeters of tendon excursion. Again, for tendon excursion, of the wrist will have three centimeters of excursion. The common finger extensors will have five centimeters of extension. And the long finger flexors will have seven centimeters of tendon excursion. Brachial plexus palsy. C5 to C6 is the most common brachial plexus palsy. This is known as Herb's palsy. The patient will present with shoulder internal rotated, elbow extended, forearm pronated, and the wrist and digits flexed. So you can almost think it's like the waiter's tip position. C8 to T1 brachial plexus palsy is known as Klumke's palsy. This you're going to see the patient in a, an elbow flexed posturing and the digits flexed. The mallet classification system is a standardized assessment for shoulder motions used in evaluating brachial plexus palsy. Six shoulder motions are graded, one with no function all the way up to five is normal. The Steindler flexor plasty restores elbow flexion, which is at C5, by transposing the flexor pronator origin proximally on the humerus. With this transfer, strength is greatly lost. Lifelong, the patient can only lift a maximum of five pounds. The lay espisipo Tendon transfer is the latissimus dorsi and the teres major muscles are moved to a lateral and posterior position on the humerus to make them act as external rotators instead of internal rotation. All right, so again, going over brachial plexus palsy, C5, C6 is the most common brachial plexus palsy, and this is known as Herb's palsy. The patient is going to present with shoulder internal rotation, elbow extended, forearm pronated, and wrist and digits flexed. C8 to T1 is known as Klumpke's palsy, and the patient will present with the elbow flexed and digits flexed. 
A mallet classification system is a standardized assessment for shoulder motions used in evaluating brachial plexus palsy. Six shoulder motions are graded with one no function up to five, which is normal. The Steindler flexor plasty restores elbow flexion, which is C5, by transposing the flexor pronator origin proximally to the humerus. With this transfer, strength is greatly lost. Lifelong, a patient can only lift maximum of five pounds. The La Espicipo transfer is where the latissimus dorsi and the teres major muscles are moved to a lateral and posterior position of the humerus to make them act as external rotators instead of internal rotation. Thumb opposition. The primary muscle to perform thumb opposition is the APB. The APB originates from the scaphoid and trapezium and inserts on the radial thumb proximal phalanx. So again, for thumb opposition, the primary muscle to perform thumb opposition is the APB. Following a nerve repair, regeneration will be apparent on sensory examination in six to eight weeks post-op. This is when sensory re-edge should begin to prevent hypersensitivity. Sensibility return in order is deep pressure and pinprick, moving touch, static light touch, and discriminative touch. A Huber tendon transfer. This is most commonly used for reconstruction of congenital hypoplasia of the thumb. The Huber tendon transfer will take the ADM transfer to the thumb APB. So again, the Huber tendon transfer is most commonly used to reconstruct the congenital hypoplasia thumb. In the Huber tendon transfer, they will take the ADM and transfer it to the thumb APB. The Bunnell tendon transfer utilizes the ring finger FDS to restore thumb opposition. Again, the Bunnell tendon transfer utilizes ring finger FDS to restore thumb opposition. The commits tendon transfer uses palmaris longus to APB to restore thumb abduction and it is commonly used for patients with severe carpal tunnel syndrome. Commits tendon transfer uses the palmaris longus to the APB in order to restore thumb abduction. The commits tendon transfer is very common for patients with severe carpal tunnel syndrome. If a patient has a combined ulnar nerve and median nerve palsy, the orthotic that you want to put them in is um, an anti-claw orthosis with a thumb web spacer.
You need to prevent the thumb abduction contracture and digital clawing. One radian equals 57 degrees. So you must move a tendon a half a radian, which is 28 degrees, for three to five millimeter excursion. So again, one radian is equal to 57 degrees. Studies have shown that you must move a tendon a half a radian, which is 28 degrees, for a three to five millimeter excursion. The strongest wrist extender is the ECRB because it has the longest moment arm and it inserts into the third metacarpal. And lastly, when tendon transfers are performed, it is okay to perform gentle passive range of motion in the first three days to a week. All right, and I do apologize for uh, messing up on the but I, you know, said it again, so hopefully that helped. I am going to be making a separate podcast for each of the nerves, um, focusing on what their function is and then uh, common tests and also common transfers. That way we can have um, something to listen to on just the radial nerve and then just the median nerve and just the ulnar nerve because I know that, um, at least for me, these, this has been the hardest to get down. So I hope that this is helping you and have a good day.